On this episode of the Naturist Living Show, we talk about naturist beaches and we interview Judy Williams of the Wreck Beach Preservation Society. of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome to this episode of the Naturist Living Show. My name is Stéphane Deschain. I'm your host for this episode and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. And today I thought we'd talk about, well, nude beaches, actually. Uh, what we call them is something I was just debating. Um, in most cases, they're clothing optional beaches because since they are public beaches, you can't actually force anybody to take their clothes off. Uh, sometimes they're called naturist beaches. That's because uh, in North America in particular, the uh, Nature Society was formed to protect uh, these beaches while the American Association for Nude Recreation or the American Sunbathing Association, as it was known then, was more focused on clubs. But either way, the beaches are a very important part of the naturist movement, along with both the landed clubs and the non-landed clubs and all of the associations and uh, places and events that are involved in naturism. Beaches play a very prominent role. For much of the textile world, naturism is something that's practiced in clubs, private parks, uh, away from the public eye. And certainly that's how naturism uh, started in the beginning of the 20th century, because it was so subversive and nudity was so offensive that it had to be hidden. Ironically, a lot of beaches, people swam nude, uh, where you go back several hundred years because the bathing suit didn't exist. But in the beginning of the early 20th century, uh, we were still recovering from the uh, prudish Victorian era, and uh, nudity in public was completely unacceptable, so it had to be hidden. Uh, when people thought of nude beaches in the 60s and 70s, they were often thinking about Europe. But nude beaches have been established in North America for that long as well, and they've become more and more important, and they're very important to naturism. Some club owners in the past have seem to think that they're in competition. If people go to naturist beaches, then uh, they won't be going to their clubs. Um, I, I think they serve very different purposes. I think the beaches are extremely important. You know, I have talked in the past uh, in an earlier episode about the importance of not being clothing optional, of maintaining uh, a pure environment in naturism. And it's a long discussion, which I won't repeat here. Rather, why don't you go back and listen to that earlier show if you haven't already. Um, but... For people who want to look at nature, see what it's like, see that it's not threatening, see that the human body and nudity can be just so natural. A beach is perfect because there's no commitment. There's a chance to uh, look, maybe participate or not. Um, there's a chance to mix with your clothes, with the people who aren't wearing any. It's it's towards that total body acceptance. Of course, with that always comes a few of the downsides. One there's no control of the environment uh, as to who's there, who's not there. Sometimes people are there with uh, the wrong intention. Uh, but generally, I think beaches are very important. And uh, the most successful ones don't have any of those problems anyway because they have such a strong community. 
and uh, they they generate a lot of revenue and when they're successful it's incredible um hallover beach is a shining example of that uh, when they got official designation uh, of Hallover Park in 1991, it took over a pair, a part of the very far end of Miami Beach that was never used, or if it was used, it was used by uh, drug dealers, or uh, it was full of litter. It was very, very poorly managed, and so it was not a big uh, stretch to be convinced, uh, as far as the government was concerned, to let the naked people use it, the naturists. And within a few years, they went from almost no parking revenue, less than $100,000, to over a million dollars in parking revenue just for that area. So the, not only did was this now a very active and vibrant, some have told me that it, that part of the beach is now uh, more densely populated than any other part of Miami Beach, and that's, of course, because it's such a narrow area. It's also one of the cleanest parts because naturists really care for their beaches that they have. Uh, but also, it's now generating revenue for the cities and for the businesses in the area. All I was talking about over a million dollars is parking revenue, but it's all the ancillary benefits for the restaurants and the shops and the hotels in the area. Um, so there's a lot of benefits to naturist beaches. It's often where people discover naturism for the first time. And then when they want to make it more of a complete life, complete philosophy, a, a more integral part of how they live their life and who they are, then they start to look at the naturist clubs in many cases. So the naturist clubs have nothing but benefits. And in Canada, the most famous beach by far, uh, often uh, one of the top beaches in the world, period, uh, definitely one of the top nude beaches in the world, is Reg Beach uh, in Vancouver. And whenever we talk about Reg Beach, a name pops up, and that's Judy Williams. Judy has become synonymous with Reg Beach. She is the tireless fighter for Wreck Beach, always fighting against development, encroaching on it, and in nature destroying it. Judy Williams really is as much an environmentalist as a naturist. Don't get me wrong, she's a passionate naturist, but she really takes the idea that naturism is not just respect for self and others, but respect for the environment. She takes that really to heart. Um, she was born in the Gulf Islands of the Pacific Northwest, and uh, she was an activist really early. When she was only eight years old, she stood down a bulldozer that was threatening a meadow that she cared about. It wasn't long after that that she first visited Wreck Beach uh, in 1967, and that's when she started fighting for it. She has a master's degree in reading education uh, from the University of British Columbia, but she retired in 2001 after 41 years as a teacher. But anybody who watches Judy with children sees that she loves kids, and she, that she has the experience, and she knows how to talk to them and be with them, and the incredible respect she has for them. In addition to her tireless involvement with the Wreck Beach Preservation Society, and it is more than a full-time job, she's also very involved in the Naturist uh, Society, the Federation of Canadian Naturists, where she's a director, and the Naturist Action Committee. Um, she's fought for beaches, not just at Wreck Beach, but all across Canada, uh, including quite successful Biconia Beach in Manitoba and Crystal Crescent in Nova Scotia. Um, she's also participated regularly in naturist gathering and events, um, such as the Bear to Breakers Foot Race in San Francisco. She regularly comes to the uh, FCN's Naturist Festival. Um, she's also an artist. Uh, she paints on murals, she paints fabric, and she paints bodies quite, quite uh, well. She's quite talented with that. Uh, my children have been the... Uh, 
proud uh, canvases for many of her works. They're always very pleased with the neat drawings she draws on their faces and their bodies. She's also a model for life drawing classes, and uh, she's also a, a member of the Federation of Canadian Artists, and she was actually accepted into the second year arts printmaking program at the prestigious Emily Carr School of Art and Design only on the merits of her portfolio because she has never taken any formal art courses until then. Josie's also a good friend, and I had the chance uh, this summer to interview her. So what follows is my discussion with her. I'm Judy Williams, and I'm chair of the Wreck Beach Preservation Society. I am on the Naturist Action Committee. I've been on the Federation of Canadian Naturists for many years, <clears throat> and I'm involved in a number of uh, battles across this country and have been for a number of years from Baconia Beach in Manitoba to Crystal Crescent Beach in Nova Scotia and always Wreck Beach. Every year there's been one threat or another against the beach. And what did you do before you worked full-time on all these issues? I worked full-time on all these issues while I was teaching school. <laughs> I was a special ed teacher for almost 44 years and uh, worked with uh, behaviorally troubled children and children who uh, had mental challenges, physical challenges, and, and some very bright students who didn't fit inside the boxes. So I always enjoyed working with students who had one kind of a challenge or another, whether it was high IQ or low IQ, because um, they were the rebels, and I get along with rebels. <laughs> now, you also have another moniker that you're kind of proud of that one of your nemesis used once. You're referring to the, the uh, brass-breasted bitch uh, uh, label that was leveled at me by two engineers from the Vancouver City Board of Parks and Recreation many years ago when we were fighting the road and fighting the deposition of 280,000 cubic meters of very contaminated dredgeate onto the foreshore. Before they started doing that, we had marsh grass and we had foxes and we had river otters. And when they got through, we had a 200-foot wide, 20-foot deep dredgeate shelf that was 73, excuse me, 83% silt instead of sand, so that it was a wasteland for many years. And that first year that they did the deposition, they tried to tell us they were environmentally monitoring it, but the fecal coliform count was well over 1,000. Now, fecal coliform is the amount of human or animal waste uh, poo, if you like, that is in, in a water body. And it's measured in mill millimeters, and milliliters, excuse me. And um, at 200 MPN, most probable number, is the safety limit for human beings. And that contaminant, dredgeate shelf, was at over 1,000. And people really couldn't use it safely for a number of years, although we did. For a year and a half before they began the dredgeate spewing onto the foreshore from a, a, a fisherman's lay-by area behind the North Arm breakwater, all kinds of surveyor ribbons went up along the beach. 
And uh, I went to the then Minister of Environment, whose offices were in Richmond by the name of Jim Nielsen, and asked him if he knew what those surveyor ribbons were about. He didn't know. He sent me to UBC. He said, it's probably the forestry students at UBC. The forestry department at UBC said, not our students. Nobody knew anything. And then suddenly, on January 21st, 1974, um, it was um, very cold, really cold, and I'd taken a couple of days and gone up to Harrison Hot Springs with a friend who had just lost her husband. And um, we um, got a phone call that bulldozers had been moved into the beach and that heavy equipment was at the tops of the trail, the Trail 6 area especially, and we better get our butts back. So we drove down at night, and I was at the top of the trail by 5.30 a.m. the next morning. It was an incredible sunrise all the way in from uh, my home. I lived in a chicken coop in Richmond at that time, a remodeled chicken coop. And I was in, and it was just an incredible sunrise, and I thought, nothing bad can happen on a morning like this. But was I ever mistaken? I got to the top of the, of the trail. There were work trucks there. This is at 6 a.m. I was supposed to be in the classroom at 8.30 a.m., and I never made it. I had logger boots on. I had jeans. I had an apron full of tools to dismantle the bulldozers. I had a bag of sugar that I was intending to put in the bulldozers' uh, gas tanks. And they were there ahead of me. It was just a horrifying morning, and I was down there screaming at them, trying to stop those bulldozers ineffectually. So then I, I um, couldn't use my cell phone, which was about uh, five pounds heavy. I had to go up on campus where a friend who was in the Rec Beach committee at the time um, had an office, and we called. We were trying to get an injunction. Um, nobody could tell us how to get an injunction to try to stop them until we could get the media down there. And meanwhile, I had to go tear-stained and tear-streaked to school, looking like I'd just come from a trek of about five days long. And, um, and I sneaked out of school. I sneaked out five minutes early. I caused a three-car pileup less than a block from the school. When the principal came looking for me, I was in the back seat. Don't tell me or ask me how I got into the back seat, but I was in the back seat. And, um, and I didn't have a car to add insult to injury while we were trying to obtain this injunction. And for all intents and purposes, they were crushing logs and scooping up the beautiful sand and bringing in these huge pipes. And they ended up putting 280,000 cubic meters of highly contaminated material on the foreshore. It looked like the beginning of the base of a superhighway. You've been in nature for, for many decades, but also very much an activist. Naturism isn't is just getting naked for you. It really is the respect for self, others, and nature in particular. How, how did you get started? How did you first get involved in naturism? Well, I've, I've always, I'm part Haida, which is a north coastal Salish group of uh, First Nations people up in the Queen Charlotte Islands. And my grandfather spoke the Chinook jargon. And I was a tomboy when I was a little girl. And um, I had a mother who was a bit mentally off and uh, who loved nothing more than to corral me on the weekends to do housework. That's where I have learned my deep and abiding hatred of housework. I don't do houses very very nicely or, or graciously. 
and I used to slip, get up early before she got up and take my two dogs and go out and pretend I was an Indian princess living out in this meadow. I had a secret meadow, and I would strip off, and the dogs and I would be all day away from the house and away from anything that required me to be in the real workaday world. I was in my own fantasy world, which included me being a noble, naked savage, as it were. And how did you first get involved in uh, Wreck Beach? Well, I got involved in Wreck Beach when uh, in 1969. Evelyn Roth, I was a student at UBC, and Evelyn Roth was uh, a soft, soft sculpturess. She would take film and weave it, uh, film from eight millimeter cameras, and weave it into costumes. And she would take huge, huge. Uh, hundreds of feet long, brilliantly colored canvases and blow them up with compressed air and make soft sculptures, lions, whales, and you would be able to go in the tent and get that, revert back to your basic uh, rhythm because she would have music going and you could dance inside the whale or inside the tiger or whatever endangered species she chose. And she was just wonderful. She's now moved to Maslin Beach in Australia. At the time that um, I was involved with her, um, I uh, got down to the beach that way because I was helping protest in front of bulldozers at a very early age. Those weren't my protests. I didn't get involved personally other than protesting uh, until 1974 when the bulldozers came in. So tell us about Wreck Beach for those listeners who's ne who have never been there. Well, Wreck Beach um, is just a place so awesome, so filled with beauty, that you have to have the eyes to see the miracle that is Wreck Beach. Uh, when I take people on a walk on the wild side, I take them on an ethnobotanical tour, but I also take them on a tour of the birds that are there as well. Ethnobotanical simply means how the natives and the pioneers use the plants to survive in their daily lives and for medicinal purposes. And And I know those plants. Many of them are here in Ontario as well. So beginning from the city end, the end closest to Vancouver, which is what, what, what one must understand is that the beach is 7.8 kilometers long and it's lineal. The slopes are all forested with, some, in some cases, old-growth, culturally modified cedar trees that the natives had marked and used as sacred trees. Unfortunately, some of those have been deliberately burned by white men who were trying to get even with some of the Musqueam band. But there are still one or two really old fellows that are there and some noble fir. So the bluffs and the cliffs, which are about 200 to 400 feet high, depending on where you are, um, are remnants of the Quadra uh, geological age and were left there by the ice shelf that moved down. So we have the forested slopes that are very similar to when Captain Vancouver first sailed into uh, Vancouver's uh, bays and nooks and crannies and whatnot. And all along the beach you have different profiles, starting at the city end that's called the Acadia end of Wreck Beach. It is the one closest to the city. It is where the surf smelts spawn. It is where they have created uh, the powers that be, in their unwisdom, have created a dog's off-leash park for 350 meters of that. So uh, if you're a naturist, uh, you have to 
brave the surf smelt fishermen who are very derogatory toward nudity and many of the rich uh, people who live up behind the beach in that area which it's marine drive and they're pretty hoity-toity and they're pretty disdainful of <clears throat> anyone who ragtag hippie-like takes their clothing off below on the beaches so they come along and stick their noses in the air but we have to use it or we lose it. And, and when my back is bad, that's where I go, where people who are handicapped can go there because there's an access road, not accessible by vehicles, but wheelchairs can handle it. And um, you just go uh, a little west of the footbridge and the first pathway veers off to the right and you're right at the beach. It's very, very close. So handicapped can find it more easily. Uh, people with heart problems or other kind of respiratory or physical ailments can go there much more easily than they can down the 200 to 400 foot high cliffs. Moving westward along the beach, you sweep into what is the area below uh, North e Northwest Marine Drive, above which all the rich people live uh, surrounding the university and what they call the endowment lands. And they are forever trying to get the trees cut above the beach so that they have a 360-degree view. Um, and we are continually battling Metro Vancouver to give us filtered views so that these guys do not change the interpretation of the B.C. Attorney General with regard to um, uh, what, where nudity can be and where it cannot be, as long as we're out of sight of the public, and they forget, of course, that we are the public as well, uh, then we are pretty safe with our Attorney General because traditionally our Attorney General supports nudity. And in 1981, we walked the area with the Attorney General and set the boundaries closest to the city with the Attorney General's representative at that time. Moving on westward from below North uh, East Marine Drive, you come to what is called Towers Beach. The first searchlight tower is at the foot of Trail 3. Trail 3 to Trail 4 is what we call Towers Beach, and there is another searchlight just to the west of that rocky area, and that is the area directly below the Museum of Anthropology where the cliffs are crumbling because they are, after all, geologically what we call feeder cliffs. They give us the sand that's below. The University of BC and the Vancouver Board of Parks and Recreation decided to put a rock groin down there, but they didn't know how to build a rock groin, and the idea was to protect the cliff toe from the, the wave action. But they didn't have a clue, and they used big boulders and dumped loose sand onto big boulders instead of using interlocking cobble and, and, and larger uh, gravel and, and finer gravel and then putting the sand in. And at the first high tide, it all washed out and it cost the city $350,000, and that was way back in the, in the 70s. So moving from Towers Beach on around, you have Trail 4, and it was one of the loveliest sections, and it still is supporting the surf smelt spawnery. Moving on, on around from Trail 4, which is like the Robinson Crusoe's Island, it's so beautiful in there. It's uh, very peaceful although there has been a territorial clash arising this summer and that's going to have to be addressed later this next week. Uh, we move around to Physical Point Grey itself and immediately below uh, Physical Point Grey uh, and just, uh, just after the Trail 4 beach is what we call the Point Grey Cliffs Beach. The sc Point Grey Scar is what it's known as. And when I used to fly in from Bowen Island, I am a pilot, and started the first group of women pilots in British Columbia. When we flew in from Bowen Island, which is to the northwest of uh, the Point Grey Escarpment, 
the point gray scar is a call-up zone. In other words, when you spot it, you call up and you say, I'm a beam, the point gray scar. And, and the tower at Vancouver International Airport, which is just to the southwest of there, knows where you are exactly by that coordinate. So following around from point gray, right at point gray, there's what we call the condos. They're ledges that we've built up. They shouldn't have been built there. They have been built there. They will accommodate up to 90 people in the wintertime for wintertime sunbathing. But they buy right into those people who would build a seawall at Wreck Beach or a road at Wreck Beach because their boulders are bolstering up the, the, the uh, ledge that's there, uh, from which I used to watch sunsets long before they ever built ledges, maybe 30 35, 40 years ago. Um, that's a, a key socializing point and place for Wreck Beach. Following that and going toward the main beach is Trail 6. The, right, at, right at where the condos are, the Scramble Trail 5 comes down. It borders the edge of the Point Grey Scar. Trail 4, which is where I just described to you a little before I forgot to tell you, right above there is the President's Mansion. The President of UBC resides there. And part of the cliff face water seepage and sappage problem came from the fact that the um, President's gardeners refused to stop watering during the summers. And that's why we've had a number of slides and why I had to go before the Vancouver Board of Parks and Recreation to keep them from destroying Trail 4. 13 times with slideshows until just before the Metro Vancouver or GVRD took over from the Board of Parks and Recreation in 1987. So following around from Point Grey, which is where the geodesic marker is for physical Point Grey, looking across you can see Trail 6 Beach, which is the largest of all of the uh, sections of Wreck Beach. Trail 6 is sometimes referred to derogatorily by other quieter areas of the 7.8 long kilometer stretch of beach known as Wreck Beach, um, as Coney Island or the zoo or the party animal area. And uh, it, it follows, it. you come down Trail 6 and look uh, out toward the North Arm jetty because the North Arm of the Fraser River, there are three arms, the Middle Arm, South Arm, and the North Arm. And the North Arm is the Working River Arm, which parallels the Vancouver International Airport. Um, Trail 6 is very sandy. It has the bulk of the vendors. It has the bulk of the people. And then from Trail 6, you can look into the deep estuary toward Point No Point. The entire escarpment of Wreck Beach from Point Grey to Point No Point, if you're far enough out at low tide or from a boat, you can see that it resembles a dragon. And one of our artists continually or consistently uh, paints the dragon of Wreck Beach uh, into his, uh, um, he, he paints murals on uh, wooden doors. And I have two of them hanging upside down from my um, uh, houseboat rafters because he paints a mural within a mural so that when the lights go out at night, you have a moonscape overlooking an eagle which is sheltering the beach it's just a he's just very gifted and of course the eagle is our talisman at wreck beach because we have many resident eagles there we have pileated woodpeckers there so the trail six area gives way to the estuarine area and you can, from there you can look over the marsh grass into the musqueam marsh you can see a white sandbar and that is the oasis where a lot of the gays like to congregate but anybody can go anywhere along the wreck beach escarpment so you follow deeply into the estuary and the uh, the oasis, because there's been a major landslide because of UBC who built towers where they shouldn't have been, 
we had January 7, 2009, a major, major slide. Over 3,000 cubic uh, meters of uh, cliff face gave way right below the highway, right across from the amenities building. Uh, once you get into the estuary, you have the oasis. That's serviced by the Old Wreck Beach Trail, which is sometimes referred to as Trail 7, and the Deep Estuarine area, which is not a, a legal trail, but would be referred to as Trail 8 or 9, is the Booming Ground Creek Trail. And the largest booming grounds in North America used to be in there. Some of them have been taken out now. But that is the deep, beautiful estuarine area where you can really reconnect with nature and you're away from the far maddening crowds. You may run into the occasional gay tryst, but you know what? It is incredibly biodiverse, incredibly beautiful. In any one walk, you can see golden eagles, you can see bald eagles, you can see ravens, crows, all kinds of critters, uh, deer, coyote. The coyotes have been lured by the proliferation of garbage in the Trail 6 area this year. It's just an incredibly beautiful wonderland at Wreck Beach. Tell me more about tell me about the people at Wreck Beach. We're a real mix at Wreck Beach. We're, and you know what really irritates me when people refer to nude beaches, they'll say nude beaches or family beaches. And that's such a misnomer because Wreck Beach is a family beach and nude beaches are family beaches. And for people to think that that families have to be separated from nude beaches because illicit sex goes on and all kinds of uh, um, lewd acts and whatnot is just totally outrageous. Uh, you have probably more sex going on, public sex going on in Stanley Park and along the English seawall than you would ever have at Wreck Beach or any other nude beach. Our mores are so strict at uh, a nude beach that the Vancouver Sun once referred to Kitsilino, which has been labeled the sexiest beach in North America, uh, and, and third sexiest beach in the, in the world, uh, and they will get 37,000 people total in a week or something there. But people strut around in bathing suits, which more, than, more accentuates sexuality more than mere nudity ever would. The, the Vancouver Sun referred to us at Wreck Beach as more mainstream than mainstream, so therefore we were boring because we didn't do anything. As far as the people, we have so many beautiful characters. Uh, I'm putting together the 75th anniversary, the 30th volume of our Wreck Beach newsletters. That's 30 years of Wreck Beach newsletters to come out this next week or the week after. And I ha I'm going to have a section labeled The Rainbow Path and to, as a tribute to those people who have passed away uh, in the last uh, 30 years I've known. We had Klaus the sandwich, first sandwich maker who inserted beautiful philosophical sayings in his sandwiches. Um, we had Patty, who was our resident comic and for whom the Bear Buns Run was started in his name when he died in Mobile, Alabama. He was a comic who traveled with Watermelon, our, our, our local pot diva, who helps us organize our Christmas parties every year and has been on the front page of High Times many, many times. Um, Watermelon is a sweetheart. She um, called me the day she found out Patty had died. They were a comic team together up and down the coast. And uh, I was taking a group of kids on a field trip out to the Museum of Anthropology, and she was so upset I made her join the tour so I could give her hugs every few minutes. Um, we have beautiful people. We have uh, J.C., the Jamaican Patty's man. He's really from the, uh, the, the East Indies, uh, and he um, uh, is a wonderful sculptor. He's a wonderful drummer. I've had him drum at my high school for my students. Uh, he is a, an artist 
very, very beautiful artist, and he is living with an abdominal uh, aneurysm right now. And there was Jack Woodley, who was the unofficial mayor of Wreck Beach with his little poodle, Misty, who for many, many years was down at the Acadia end of Wreck Beach. Um, we have Lucy, who sells the best empanadas and the best salsa verde you'll ever eat anywhere. And I keep trying to get her to go in business with me to produce that salsa verde. It is the best you'll ever eat anywhere, hands down. And then you have Storm and Norman, who is the, probably the chief character of them all. And we're going to be featuring him, exhorting us all to get naked for our, our, our group family photo we have every year on Rec Beach Day. Uh, he uh, sells, or has sold until this year, buffalo burgers, and he's run the Spirit Grill. Now he's reduced to veggie burgers and hot dogs uh, on his grill and uh, has recently had a a meltdown and is under care right now but some of his uh, friends are are running the the stand he he operates out of a, a parachute tent on the beach and has some of the best hot food on the beach then there's monkey shines brent and his lovely wife barbara he runs the operation on the beach and they sell hot dogs there are all kinds of people. There are all kinds of issues. Um, some of the wonderful people we have there, we have every, everyone from when you lose your clothes, you lose, you lose your superiority over anyone else. And it's only, you're only judged by the wattage of your smile and the caliber of your conversation. We have professors mixing with street people. We have comedians mixing with all kinds of artisans. We have people who... Um, uh, are, are walking barge like Matt. Uh, Jello Matt sells Jello shooters, and he um, he walks the beach. But he ran afoul of the Metro Vancouver this summer because he, he put in his hammock poles the way they usually were. But you just get him going, and he can um, make up um, limericks. He does the most fabulous limericks and puns and uh, iambic pentometer, and he does it just off the top of his head. I'm trying to get him to give me one of them just off the top of his head for the uh, uh, for the um, uh, 75th newsletter. And then we have our musicians. Oh, my God, do we have musicians. We have some of the funnest musicians anywhere in Canada, and they are there for us. I was serenaded about uh, a month ago by a group of them because one of the ladies who is just like a, a daughter to me had written a song about Wreck Beach and how I was its savior, and they came and serenaded me with it. Um, at funerals, our, our musicians will, we have funerals on the beach. At the funerals, they will play, and it's it's so touching. We had a, a, a shaman ceremony for a tree that the GVRD insisted on cutting because they said it was a liability, and it stood for 250, 300 years. So, you know, but it was in imminent danger of coming down, don't you know? So we brought in a shaman, and he blessed the tree. And the minute he raised the eagle, ceremonial eagle feathers, and 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 swept the sweet grass toward uh, the tree way up on the hill before it was cut, one of our largest eagles circled that tree three times and then flew away. And that's the spirituality of Wreck Beach. The spirituality and its people are what make it live. Four years ago, we did uh, statistical analyses of the visitors that we had signing petitions to stop the towers. And uh, we had over 152 countries represented on those petitions. We got over 55,000 signatures. And any one year, we have between 350 and 500,000 visitors uh, annually. And we estimated using um, 
StatsCan and BC Tourism figures, uh, we estimated that we generate well over between 61 and $100 million or more a year in, in tourist revenues from transportation to Canada to transportation within Canada to accommodation to food to souvenirs to what it takes about 15 to $20 a day to to uh, ha- enjoy a full day at Rec Beach because you can buy all the beautiful fresh food you want. It may not be as, as great as it was last year because our vendors are very restricted, but we have literally thousands of people uh, come to Vancouver uh, because of Rec Beach. In 1973 or 74, StatsCan... Uh, made the comment in one of their reports about visitors, emigrants and immigrants, that most of the emigrants from the other parts of Canada who came to Vancouver, 20% of them came because of our West Coast lifestyle, including because of Rec Beach. That's from StatsCan. So for people who live in other parts of Canada who don't have a nude beach and would like to establish one, I mean, nobody has more experience with this than you do. What would your advice be to them? Well, if they have an area that they really love, uh, they might uh, look at how Hollover Beach was established and what's happening right now in Key West, Florida, uh, with the naturist groups down there, South Florida Free Beaches and some of the others, who are coming against uh, up against the League for um, uh, League for Decency, the uh, yeah, the League for Decency. Um, down there, which is a radical religious right group who is trying to stop them getting a nude beach, and so first of all, you f- you see the area you would like to es- where you would like to establish a, a nude beach. Then you have to find out who has jurisdiction. Sometimes it's interjurisdictional. This was the problem with Rec Beach. You had provincial, you had regional, you had federal. Like some of the water is federal, some of the water is uh, provincial. You have to know your jurisdictional mandates and who has what jurisdiction. Then you have to find out how that jurisdiction is structured. You have to find out who the important people are in the chain of command and who the ones who have the most influence are. And believe it or not, they can be as lowly, in quote marks, as the local secretary. Sometimes they know more than their bosses know. And never, ever forget your support staff. Never forget them because they can be real allies or they can be real stumbling blocks. You have to cultivate thine garden, as it were. You need to know the players. You need to know their strengths. That means getting down and doing research on each one of them. You need to know who maybe is in the Ku Klux Klan or who might be, uh, for all that matter, um, uh, um, someone of uh, Pat Robertson's ilk who is a total radical uh, religious person who thinks that all nudity is um, uh, the work of the devil and so forth. You have to know who those people are and you have to be able to circumvent them and work around them. And it takes hours. When I look back at the early years of trying to establish nudity at Rec Beach in a, in a legal way, I, I, I am staggered that we persevered uh, and that we continued on. I had a full-time teaching job. Uh, first I was a student and then I was a full-time teacher. And I had a lot of other interests and a lot of other um, um, fires in the uh, irons in the fire. I was a pilot. I was uh, 
uh, and I worked with a women pilots group called the 99s. I organized the first one in British Columbia. Um, I was in many environmental groups. The Fraser River Coalition has been one. I'm still the co-chair of the Fraser River Coalition and any of the environmental groups where I could lend my support. So you have to be very careful and zealous of your time. And I just, when I look back, it makes me tired just looking at the hours. So to go back to how would you establish a nude beach, you can't do it alone. You can't do it in isolation. You have to get like-minded people around you. You have to be able to delegate, and you have to have one or two major spokespeople. When we first started, we made the mistake of having other people talk, and sometimes we were talking at cross-purposes. So you have to have... That's how I got catapulted into being a chair, because you you have to have consistency and you have to be able to back up whatever you say with facts. You can't make a blanket statement and then not be able to support it. You have to be able to have the facts. Whenever I did interviews, I'd always have a fact list. Facts list, F-A-C-T-S, not F-A-X. I'd have a facts list either written on my hand or somewhere where I could see it to remind me if I had a brain fart. So you really have to know your stuff. You have to be aware of it. You have to absorb it. You have to sleep it, live it, breathe it, and, um, and, and eat it for breakfast sometimes. And what is the argument? What do you say to those people? Why should there be a beach? You have to have an argument, right? Well, why should there be a free beach? Why should there be a hunter's lobby? Why should there be recreational vehicle lobby? Why should jet skis be allowed to foul our waters? We have 80 million of them in Canada, and it's a personal grudge I have. And one one jet ski in seven years, is, its lifetime, can put 600 gallons of raw fuel into the receiving waters. Why? It's about freedom. It's about personal freedom of expression. It's about um, uh, having the same rights as other recreational groups. It's about living as nature intended. It's about living as God intended. Whatever your concept of God may be, we are God's creatures. We are nature's creatures. We are of the world. We are not separate of the, from the environment. We are part of the environment. And that's why the International Naturist Federation has the definition of living in harmony with nature and with respect for nature. Because if you lose sight of that, many people who call themselves naturists are not naturists. They're nudists because they like to be socially free of their clothing around other people. But that doesn't make them naturists. Naturists are those who truly respect the environment and understand that our footprints have to be lighter than any of our textile counterparts in order to preserve that which we love. And naturist groups have arisen to protect the beaches and the natural areas that they love. And it's because of our group that Rec Beach is still undeveloped. I mean, there have been every year, when I think back, it makes me so weary to remember all the assaults against the beach. So, one, you say, we have to preserve the natural features. Here are the natural features. Here are where the surf smelts spawn. Here is we have to keep this undeveloped and not paved over. Here is where uh, the last of the river otters live. We need to bring them back. After you put the dredgeate shelf on there, we need to bring them back. And what better way to do it than not have development? And so let the naturists have it because we'll protect it. We'll protect it with our lives, you know. Um, and right down to the basic premise of nudity is not a sin. Even the Bible uh, supports nudity and uh, Pope Paul the uh, I can't remember what number he was he came out with one of the most eloquent uh, uh, defenses of naturism and nudity that I've ever heard anywhere and 
whenever I get the radical religious right breathing down my neck, I just uh, bring out this quote and zip this quote off. I can't remember it in its entirety, but basically it is that the human body is, there is no shame in the human body, only what you bring to it to make it shameful. Uh, but in, in itself it is inherently beautiful and good, and there is no shame. What would you tell them not to do? What are the mistakes people make when they try to establish a beach? Too many people, you, you have to have a clear spokesperson or, or, or a couple of spokespersons. You have to be in agreement. You have to have regular meetings. And the mistakes that people make is that they don't do the research ahead of time. They don't have all their ducks lined up in a row. That's absolutely critical. You have to know who has jurisdiction. You don't know where to go until you find out who has jurisdiction. When I went to Baconia Beach, I had to find out what kind of a structure they had, what kind of a protocol you had to do, who you had to go see to start lobbying, right? And I, that meant I had to meet with rednecks with rifles crossed in the back windows of their cars, and when they took me up to their A-frame home that had was full of animals, dead heads, I had to drive a gauntlet of cages full of Rottweilers lunging to get out of their cages to rip me to shreds. That was scary stuff. And then I, that was when, um, when the... Um, the um, the reeve of the rural municipality of St. Thomas came down on the side of nudity. That's when that redneck tried to run me over, and the only thing that saved me was that the RCMP officer with me didn't want to be run over either, so he pulled me out of the way. In order to be more an, a more effective activist, one has to always safeguard uh, against unduly antagonizing the people that you're going to be working with. And by that, what I mean is honey catches more flies than vinegar. And uh, if you are in a delicate situation, that's what I was getting at or trying to get at when I said that you should have one or two spokespeople and then others should come to you before they, they do an interview or refer any interviews to you so that you're all on the same page. And the left arm isn't contradicting what the right arm is doing. Uh, a case in point uh, here in Ontario was we were working toward trying to establish a designated area on a nude beach. And uh, one of the um, major players um, had been in trouble with the provincial parks people over the beach where uh, he was... Um, um, trying to establish a nude presence. So we talked about working as a team, and um, I drafted a letter for him to the park superintendent. The park superintendent sent back a letter saying, well, I have to ban nudity for now, but we're revising the park management plan, and maybe you'd like to be getting involved. And we're just drafting a strategy for that. When uh, the advocate for nudity in that park decided to put a sock on his member and not only go swimming, uh, when the authorities came to ask him to get dressed, he ran away. And that set us back. So I had worked really hard on drafting the letter. And, and this illustrates simply that you have to work as a team. Teamwork is really important. Because what happens at one area where you're trying to designate clothing optionality will affect and can set a precedent for any of the other areas where we're trying to do that on a province-wide basis in Ontario, for example. 
uh, same sort of thing happened uh, at Baconia Beach in Manitoba. Um, there uh, was trouble brewing in that the locals were harassing the nudists just tremendously negatively there. And uh, some of the gay population also wished to uh, continue being naked there. And unfortunately, got into um, some arguments with some of the rednecks who were coming down to the beach with video cameras and riding horses past where the gentlemen were uh, and uh, uh, taking video cameras of them, and that caused altercations, and that caused um, the rednecks to go back with a bulldozer and to take out the only causeway that led to the beach. So that set us back because it wasn't a team team approach. We had to work as a team, and that's when the FCN, uh, through, through me, came in. We weren't trying to pontificate or throw our weight around, but we were trying to speak as one voice for all of the naturist interests uh, there. So you, you have to be very careful to work with the local people. You cannot go in and usurp their role. It's the grassroots people that you need to work with. It's the grassroots people that are going to be left there after you leave as part of a national organization or an international organization. And they have to be trained while you're there. They have to get a crash course on what to do and what not to do when you're dealing with authorities. And the number one defense you have is knowledge. Get that knowledge and you can argue your way out of a paper bag if you have to. Well, Crystal Crescent was again a case where there were there are some beautiful rocky uh, ledges at Crystal Crescent, and um, there were people who were doing their business in the bushes and not being too terribly discreet about it. So as a result, the provincial park authorities there were going to close down the entire Crystal Crescent Beach, which is this little gem, pristine gem of a beach with crystal clear waters. It really lives up to its name. You have to walk through heather and other beautiful uh, shrubbery in order to get there along this coastal trail. It is magnificent scenery, and it is very beautiful, and everyone knows everyone at this beach, and they look after it. They're caretakers of the beach. But a few were ruining it for the majority. And once again, um, I went in not, not as a local person, but working closely with the local people, I called on behalf of the national organization. It started with phone calls, it continued with emails, it continued with a trip out there. And uh, um, unfortunately, I had said to the local people, look, we don't want a whole lot of television crews there. We met with the prosecuting attorney. Uh, the local head of the Blue Nose Naturists and I went to the prosecuting attorney's office, and I said, whatever we do, we don't want the media there. And I walked out the door and he had called the media. And we sort of downplayed it, but that night it was on local television that played to over 350,000 people. But because we went in and we worked behind the scenes and we worked with the authorities rather than trying to dictate to them or having them dictate to us or kowtowing to them, um, we ended up getting not only the right to go nude at Crystal Crescent Beach, but we got the right uh, to go nude on other provincial beaches within uh, Nova Scotia. And now, the very popular Naked Drummer and Bailey's Road Band have another song for us to listen to called Naturist Girl.
thank you once again for listening. We really appreciate all the feedback. Please keep it coming. You can send emails to naturistliving at bareoaks.ca. It's really nice to see the audience grow. Some of our early episodes have now had thousands and thousands of downloads. And that's very satisfying to know that there's people out there interested in listening to what we have to say. So we'll be back next month with another episode and some more interesting discussion topics. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social, and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca. Thank you.